0: Good morning, my name is Mike Steinbach. I am one of the elders here at Life Community Church, which just means I've been going here longer than anybody else we have been here since 2000. And we're gonna be reading today from Luke chapter eight, verses 22 through 25 in the English Standard Version. Uh, It's the uh, message about Jesus calming the storm. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of a lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, and sa- saying to one another, Who then is this? that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Praise God. Thanks, Mike. As we gather and on this Palm Sunday, it's going to be a little probably different take on Palm Sunday than you're used to as we are looking at week two of our series, intentionally looking at faith. And how do we remain faithful in a fearful world? I don't know if, if you um, had a phone call maybe the past couple days, weeks, months, and you didn't want to take it because you knew who it was on the other end. You knew it wasn't going to be good, it wasn't going to feel good, sound good, and you just hit, hey, go to voicemail, uh, I'll deal with it later. Maybe there was nothing on caller ID. You're like, certainly not going to answer that. I had one of those calls come in when I was 18 and I knew who it was and I knew the backstory, and I didn't want to deal with it anymore. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't good. And leading up to that phone call, I had an opportunity to take in a, a kid that was in our youth group that was homeless and needed a place to stay until some things got figured out. And during that process, it came to light that he had traded a skateboard, brand new $150 deck, whole setup for like a $20 BB gun that didn't work that well and he was in this whole problem at school and I was like hey that's a, that's not a good fair trade like I, I know that was kind of wise on your part but also manipulative to, to make a deal like that and you took advantage of this this kid and yeah his dad's mad at you so let's go over there let's figure it out and so we get over there and the, the guy opens the door he's like twice my size true Goliath in, in stature that to what I remember. And he was missing an eye to make it even more intimidating. And I'm just losing it going, okay, Lord, I don't know why I'm here. This kid, these people, I'm, and, and all of a sudden we get brought into the house, and it's kind of calm, and then it quickly takes a turn for the worse. And I'm being accused because I'm like a brother or a dad or somehow related to this guy. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not. I'm just one of the youth leaders. I don't know. I'm just trying to help the situation. I agree with you, Dad. This wasn't a good trade. And... He's like, you gave my kid a BB gun, you know, I lost my eye. I'm like, oh yeah, this is going from bad to worse. Man, you really messed up, kid. And so as we kind of sorted things out and, and the police were threatened to be called and, and I was like, hey, hang the phone up, like we can figure this out, we don't need the police here. Um, he was calling me weeks later and, and I listened to the voicemail, I realized he wanted to take me to coffee. I'm like, okay, well, well lit, public place, I'll meet you there, you know. This already was tough before. And so he, he shared with me, hey, I saw something in you. you. You jumped into this situation. It wasn't your choice, but you chose to jump. It wasn't your doing, but you chose to jump in and help. I don't know what you're doing or why you're doing it and this whole God thing, whatever, but you keep doing what you're doing. God's going to use you. And I was like, wow, that's pretty, you know, an 18-year-old kid. What in the world just happened? When Christians are led by the Spirit, He directs our steps. And when you see suffering, you don't run from it. You, you're, you're drawn to it to help. And, and as a young kid, I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew, hey, God called me to help, and here's someone in need, so I'll help him. And I, didn't, I probably had some, some arrogance and pride looking back going, look at me, no one else is helping this kid, and I get to house him, or I get to help. And, and there were some misplaced priorities, certainly, but there was, at the core, hey, I want to help someone who's suffering. And when we're suffering, we recognize that we need we need help. The question is, where are you going to look for help? Where are we going to put our faith? How are we going to remain faithful in a world so fearful? And in that situation, in that tense, just trial and challenge, it's easy just to, to cry out, call the police, or be angry, or be in fear. Instead, we see that often in our lives, the Creator shows up, and He shows up and, and explains not, hey, you're never going to suffer again, but explains, hey, while you endure suffering, here's how it works, and here even how it's it's actually necessary. Jesus says that if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. What a wonderful verse to take out of context, right? Oh, man, if the Son sets me free, I'm free from trial, from illness, from pain, from debt. The problem is he's certainly not promising exemption from the normal ills and trials of life it's not that tribulation may come nor even that it will come but that it must come trials suffering and tribulation must come we see in the next chapter jesus says the son of man must suffer if any Hardships, Luke writes in Acts 14, as he's explaining the early church and explaining the gospel and the the kingdom and how we as followers of Christ, as disciples of Christ, a humble servant committed to following Jesus. We're following Jesus, humbly surrendering, enduring what must come. And, And he's saying to enter the kingdom of God, we must pass through many hardships. Not just one, but many. Jesus was altogether in control of the whole chain of events in this passage. And we see he just explained last week, here's how faith starts and grows, and here's the test. The test as he takes his disciples across the lake where a storm was going to burst upon them to the other side of the shore where a demoniac was going to meet them. And then he takes them back to Capernaum, drawing their attention to a sick woman in the crowd as he's in the process of going to Jairus' house where he pulls three of them into a closet and the parents closes the door and raises the dead child. Why did Luke put these together? And we're going to look at these as it prepares our hearts to see Jesus, the King, sharing with us what it's like to live in the kingdom. They have become his own special friends, members of the kingdom of God. Do they perhaps imagine that from now on they will escape the suffering and pains of life? Instead, Jesus forces them to confront a storm, a demoniac, an invalid, and a corpse. He is saying, as it were, you enjoy my salvation and all of the benefit of knowing me as your heavenly Father and having the Spirit in you. You enjoy that now, but you still live in a fallen world where evil is rampant and facing suffering is necessary. The question is, how will you face suffering? Will you run from it and try and insulate your life So that you're not around anybody or anything that that would add any suffering to you. And are you constantly asking, God, why is this happening? Instead of, God, how are you going to use this? And, And who might be in need that I could meet that need? The question is, are we remaining faithful in a fearful world? Are we remaining faithful to Christ in a fearful world? We see these tests that Jesus intentionally brought his team through. Because this team of disciples were watching him endure it so that when he left, he gave them his spirit and they would continue to endure suffering and trials and tribulations. Our future is secure. Our present reality, we have peace because our past is forgiven through Jesus only. It's the salvation of Jesus that frees us and brings us peace. As we see this first Trial. Who can overcome the physical storm? The question is asked. Who can overcome this physical storm? Jesus only. It's not Jesus plus something or Jesus plus good works. It's not that Peter did an amazing work last week and helped an old lady across the street. So Jesus is like, hey, Peter, you did a good thing. I'll I'll help you today. No. It's only Jesus. The concern that they shared, verses 22 through 23, the storm arises and Jesus is asleep on a boat. The disciples are full of fear. When I was younger reading this, I was like, man, Jesus has three years to disciple and he's sleeping. Is he getting lazy? Like, what's the point? Is he just testing their faith? Now I know he was was a man in his 30s. And now that I have three kids and I'm in my 30s, I just fall asleep. It's like, I never used to do that. And now I'm like, oh, I get it. Jesus was casting demons out of people, watching over everyone, feeding 5,000. He's like, oh, sl- guys, you got the boat figured out. You guys know how to sail. Sweet. It's a nice, peaceful evening. It's about 7.30, 38, probably sun setting. He's like, man, this is calm. I'm just going to fall asleep on the boat. And then he's startled awake, and he's like, geez, man, I can leave you guys alone for a few seconds. You guys can't. Oh, there's a storm. Oh, yeah, let me take care of that for you. And he, he rebukes the, the wind and the water. And he looks to him and says, where's your, where's your faith? It's not, why don't you have any faith? It's, where are you putting your faith? You're allowing fear to dictate your reality. You're you're quickly forgetting who I am and that I'm with you. I've raised people from the dead. I've fed thousands. I've given sight to the blind. You think a little wind and waves are going to stop us? Coming out of Egypt, God controlled the wind and the waters and created dry land for them to walk across. And the psalmist reflected, and that's what they were quoting, saying, wow, who is this that even the wind and the water obey him? So maybe they were on the boat. Maybe Jesus was like, hey, you guys memorizing that psalm? Okay, sweet. And he passes out. He comes to you and they're like, hey, that verse we memorized. It happened. Maybe. I don't know. But the question is, where is your faith when storms arrive? It's not if a storm arises, but when. We see that This place that they were in, this physical location, the Sea of Galilee was prone in it because of its low-lying position in a rift valley surrounded by hills and the Golan Heights or this huge cliff that allows the the winds to create these sudden just terrifying storms that physically we're in a fallen place that's going to breed problems. And when that happens... Financially, you're not always going to be doing well. Relationally, there's two sinners involved in relationships. Someone's going to mess up at some point, and there's going to be tension. There's physical storms. I know it's in California, so typically our storms aren't rain, unless it's a flash flood, and even then it's like quick and over, and there's mud everywhere. Uh, but fire, we've all known someone or seen the devastation of fire destroying homes and, and just the, the suffering and, and the inability to control. And it's like, yeah, we know... Birth pains and the, the earth is groaning, but man, when you're, when you're stuck, where do you look to? When I was 18, I got my dream Tacoma 4x4, four-wheel drive. I was like, yeah, I got to go in the dunes with my buddy and show how it works. And we're obviously after work, so it's dark. And I'm like, who cares? I got headlights and going down this dune, I didn't realize that um, you could actually get a 4x4 truck stuck, but somehow I went down a dune and there's another dune. It was dark, I didn't see, so I ran into it. And uh, thankfully, nothing got damaged on the truck, but I couldn't drive it. So I'm like, oh man, so I'm, I'm praying, and I'm, I realize, hey, I got skimboards in the back, so I shove them under the tires, which was awesome, because then it just shot the skimboards out like little discs out of a Nerf gun. And I was like, well, that didn't help at all. So internally, I'm freaking out, and my friend's like, dude, you're a loser. Like, you just got your truck stuck, like, and everyone from the valley's just doing brodies around me, spreading sand, like, and jumping the dunes. I'm like, hey, that's cool, but can I help? Anybody help? Nope. Help! No. Sweet. What am I going to do? There was no, like, hey, Siri, get me a tow truck in the dunes, you know, and, and so then I was just praying. And just prayed, and then I was like, oh, maybe if I put it in, in four low and turn my wheels like with the dune, not against it, instead of climbing over. And after prayer and the Holy Spirit, angels, who know, I, it just popped out, and I was like, hey, I don't even want to think or know, but I'm out and we're driving, that's good. And my friend looked to me and was like, I've never seen someone in like a jam like that and just stay calm and pray. Like well, that wasn't me. That was the Holy Spirit in me. I don't know what. But when you're in a physical jam or a physical storm, something's not working, and no matter how hard you try, it's just ugh. Is your faith in Jesus? Are you praying? Is that your default to just humbly submit and say, "God, help me. I'm I'm stuck." That's where they were. They're were like, "Hey, Jesus, wake up. We we'd, we're done. We sailed as far as we could. The waves, the wind is too much for us." And Jesus is like, "Dude, where's your faith?" You, you were doubting that we were going to be okay. And so right away he goes from that experience to teach them again. The path the Spirit takes us isn't always easy or comfortable. They show up, they get off the boat, and I'm sure they jumped, and some of them probably kissed the ground and were like, we're on dry land. And as they looked up, this naked, deranged, demon-possessed man runs at them. And they're like, man, walking with Jesus never gets boring. And this guy, and some of you probably are like, oh yeah, that's how our creek bed is. You go for a walk in the creek bed, you might be bound to see one of these guys run at you naked. It's like, all right, hide the girl's eyes. you know, Don't look. Jeez. This, who can overcome the demoniac, the, the demonic spirits? Jesus only. It's the bottom line. It's Jesus only. So we read in Scripture, it's interesting how Luke puts it because he shares with us the response before what Jesus said. So he shares in verse 28, the demon says... What have you done? What have you to do with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, I beg you, do not torment me. After he cries out to Jesus and falls down, the demon's like, What are you going to do? Don't torment me. And then he goes on in verse 29, For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. So Jesus rolls up and is like, hey, this is inappropriate, demon, come out of him. And then he falls down and is like, what are you going to do, torment me, son of the most high? And then Jesus says, what's your name? And they, they respond, legion, for many demons had entered him. Legion is about 2,000 foot soldiers in the Roman army, plus horsemen and everything else. So in, in these Jewish minds, they're like, dude, we know a Roman legion, that's thousands that's so many spirits are in this guy. And Jesus just says, you need to leave. And so then there's a large herd in verse 32 that were feeding there on the hillside and they begged him to let them enter. So he gave them permission, verse 33. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs and their herd rushed down and into the water and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what happened, they rolled, they ran into town, told everybody what happened. They came out and they saw Jesus with the previously naked possessed man clothed and in his right mind. And they were so in love with the swine, they could care less about the man's soul. And they said, hey Jesus, you got to get out of here. You're disrupting our business. This is horrible. This is the worst day of our life. They could care less about all of their efforts and all the time and all the money that was spent to try and control the demoniac. And, and they've it wasn't just, hey, we should probably... I mean, they had to put some considerable amount of effort to find him and then chain him up. They weren't like, hey, he's healed. This is great. They're like, hey, Jesus, get out of here. This is a worse idea. What are you doing? When I was in El Salvador, we were going through some villages, and they said, hey, there's a guy who's running around naked and, and just eating out of the dirt, hangs out in the cemetery. You want to go pray for him? I was like, no, I, that's yeah, that's a great story to read in the Bible, but I don't really want to go meet him. That's not something, and I'm pretty, you know, like, hey, let's go experience new things. And so as we walk to the guy's hut, they're like, yeah, normally he's not here. I'm like, well, that's, maybe he won't be here, and we'll pray for him from afar. And as I was there, I was like, man, this is dark, and I've never in my mind thought I would, I mean, it'd be cool to see a storm calmed, and the wind cease, and the waves stop, but... Usually I'm praying four waves as a surfer, so that's always counter. And, and then here, I'm like, this demoniac, that could happen. Like, that guy could burst in, and we'd have to cast the demons out of him. Are we ready for that? Like, is, is my team, am, I'm ready, for, I think I'm ready, I don't know, maybe I'm not, are they? All these questions, and it's, it's true. It's not just, hey, that's crazy in El Salvador, or hey, that's in the river. That's, there's a spiritual battle happening. And here Jesus just says, hey, flee, and the demons flee. And the world is so concerned with the world and the things of the world that they could care less about his soul. And the guy, I love it, he begged to go with Jesus. It says, verse 38, The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away. I didn't really know what begging was until I had kids, and if you've been around kids, in like 30 seconds, they can hit every angle of emotion and fact. And what well, you said, and we never did. And you're just like, ah, oh, I thought I had a heart, but now I don't. I, man, I'm the worst dad ever. And you just want to give in. And I could just see Jesus going, dude, this is this is pathetic. Like, you're a grown man. You're begging. Nope. There's, and, and I'm sure the disciples were like, yeah, bad idea, dude. The last boat ride we went on, you don't want to get on the boat. It's better. Just go back to the village. It's better for you. And so he does. Jesus says, hey, go back, and you need to tell everybody what God has done in your life. And it's amazing. This guy didn't have a seminary degree. He had the worst background for a missionary. You know, every time I've done like a, an ordination or a pastor thing, they, they're like, you know, have you been divorced? And all your, have you been arrested? Have you killed anybody? When was the last time you kicked a dog? It's like, geez, how deep do we need to go? And, and they have this full-on deal and, and Jesus is like, hey, you demons were in you yesterday. Go tell everybody what's happened today. And why, is, as, as Christians in America, why do we think we have different s- sections of, well, that guy's in seminary, and that guy's an elder, and, well, that guy's just, that's a greeter, and that person cleans the sidewalks, and that person, they refill the community. No, we're all disciples. And Jesus is helping his disciples see it's not just for you 12. It's not just for Israel. It's not just for the Gentiles that I've met. It's for the whole world. And even the murderers, even the demonically possessed can be freed, forgiven, and there's consequences to their actions. But they can go tell people what God's done in their life. And there's, there's certainly gross possession. And El Salvador I was like, wow, this is really brutal and dark and definitely exactly what we read in Scripture God help me if I encounter this person to, to cast the demon out if that's what they want. If not, it's going to be tough, but we can, God's more powerful than evil, so I don't have to fear. And we see that typically those under the sway of demons descend into filthy living physically and morally. And as we see with our own in, in California, passing extreme abortion laws. They just, they just passed one, and they're proposing another one that we could kill, to make it legal to kill a seven-week-old baby out of the womb. Like, the demonic and evil, we don't have to be seeing a naked guy running around a graveyard. That is demonic in and of itself, and so we have to see. Jesus brought his disciples to see this is the world you're going to preach the gospel to, and I'm in it with you, and I'm enduring it with you. The local townspeople had attempted to restrain him, but with terrifying Hercules' strength, broken all the bounds. There's more civilized possession, It's not all demonization that's dark and satanic. 2 Corinthians 11 tells us Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's it's your choice. It's an inconvenience. Just get rid of the baby. There's dumpsters. Just put it in a bag and it's fine. That's the narrative of our world. Hey, what's right for you is right for you. What's right for me is right for me. Don't judge. Let's just move on with our life. And it's an angel of light. So many religions start with an angel of light appearing. And that's why Paul tells, hey, who bewitched you? Did an angel come and preach a different gospel to you? Yeah, actually, the angel did come and preach a different gospel. That's why we have all these religions. Jesus is the only one that says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only one that they're going, hey, wait, we read in Psalms, and you do control the wind and the waves. This is lining up, and you do have power over the physical. You do have power over the spiritual. The demon-controlled men and women can appear conventional. They even can be spiritual leaders on TV. They can be spiritual leaders in a church, a part of a church, leading a church. And I've known some that have had that spiritual bondage that's uncovered years later, and we see that it's not just demonic. There's also a human flesh side, as James 1.14 says, each one's tempted by his own evil desires. So what are we supposed to do with this? We're supposed to identify that we're typically quick, especially in America, to just dismiss and ignore that demons and Satan exist, or we over-spiritualize it, and and we think Satan's the cause of your battery dying every day. We're like, Satan, quit sucking all the juice out of my battery. No, that's you not going to the auto zone and getting a new battery. Satan has other things. He's not sucking your battery dry. But we do, and Satan's like, perfect. They're distracted and dismiss me or they over-spiritualize and think I have way more power and and they're obsessed and infatuated with me. Spiritual family bondage is is something that, especially for us in our lineage, we we don't have our identity with our family anymore, so we don't know what our aunts and uncles, what we're doing. And and knowing people and going, man, there's some spiritual bondage here that's a lot more hidden in masquerades that you can't really see because it's not a naked guy running around a, a cemetery. Have you ever opened yourself up to, to the powers of Satan and the dark with like Ouija boards or tarot card readings or even just being in a presence where like, yeah, this is dark and wrong, but I'm going to just keep going. Those are things that we need to pray over and, and even come to the elders and let us pray over because there's... There is a spiritual war, but Jesus has power over Satan. And so he comes to that conclusion with the disciples being equipped. You don't need to be fearful of the physical storm. You don't need to be fearful of the spiritual battle. We're more than conquerors. We have victory in that. And Jesus comes to show us he has victory, which leads them from the storm to the demoniac to the third point, who can overcome the physical illness and death, who can overcome physical illness and death. Jesus only. It's nothing added to Jesus. It's only Jesus. In this purpose, we see, of the, the 12 years, we have a 12-year-old daughter of Jairus, the leader in the synagogue, the religious elite, and then we have a 12-year-long bleeding hemorrhage in this, this woman who spent her entire resources flying to Switzerland, going to every doctor, UCLA, Stanford, trying every homeopathic, going even to, some commentators go, hey, there, there's some dark witch doctors she visited, and there's no help. And so as Jarius comes, in verse 41, and he falls down at Jesus' feet and implores him to come to his house. He had only a daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. So Jesus goes, and as he's going, this woman who'd been bleeding reaches out. And it's, a, it's amazing and beautiful to see this faith that is so simple and somewhat selfish, right? And some of you, that's how you started your journey with Jesus. You needed. You're in a dark, hard place, and you're like, Man, if Jesus can help, if he can fix, I'm reaching out to him. I don't really know how or what. And I know there's some, some things about tassels and healing, and if I can just touch the hem of his robe, or... There's other people that have, just the shadow has fallen on them, and they were healed. So maybe the hem is written. She reaches out and touches the hem, and boom, she's healed. And Jesus stops and is like, who touched me? And Peter looks at him like, bro, are you serious right now, Jesus? Like, you're already kind of worrying me. You're in a crowd. The crowd's back. The three other times it was kind of smaller, just the disciples. Now the crowd's back, and they're pushing on him. Of course they are. They're like, dude, the guy just shut up the wind and the waves. He, that demoniac guy crossed. He, he healed him. He's over there telling everybody, I want to go see Jesus. I just heard Jerry, a psalm and his daughter's not doing well. We all know that. We've been praying for her forever. Nothing's worked. He's going to go heal her. I want to go see Jesus heal her. I want to see him. I want to touch him. I want to be near. But no one else was healed. No one else was helped because no one had the faith that this woman had. Even if it was selfish, even if it was misplaced and misguided, isn't that encouraging to us that when we're suffering and we cry out to Jesus, if we're sincere in our faith, trusting Him, He'll heal us and He'll help us even if we don't have it figured out. Which helps me because I'm like, I'm a pastor, teacher, young, immature, still growing, trying to be humble. Go, okay, Lord, give me something. Every day I'm like, Holy Spirit, I believe in You and You're going to speak through me to the word, Your words, to Your people. Please. And here He... He answers, and he's like, wait, wait, stop. The power left me. What a powerful statement. The disciples are like, wait, what? Power comes out of you? And for me, I'm like, so how much power exactly do you have if I'm Jarius, right? You're like, wait a minute, hold on, power left you? Time out, like, were you on a full charge? Or were you half charged, and now that 50% is gone? Like, someone just took it from you? How did that happen? I didn't know you could lose your power, Jesus. My daughter still needs you. And Jesus says, no, someone the power left me, someone touched me, imparts the crowd and brings her out, puts the attention on her, which, I mean, being a male of authority to a female in that society where she wasn't allowed to testify in court of law, and she was also bleeding, which meant how he was unclean and she's unclean, like this was kind of a, uh, the first glance, you're like, whoa, Jesus, take it easy. Instead, he's elevating her, showing the world and this community, especially his disciples, the gospel's not just for men. It's not just for the men on the boat. It's not for the demoniac man. It's for men and women. This woman was ostracized from society. This woman was probably divorced because who would stay married to her if she can't go to the temple and worship? And she's basically considered dead in that society. And so Jesus was saying, no, I'm bringing the relationally society outcast back to life i'm healing you and the whole everyone needs to focus on her and acknowledge that she's healed and and at the same time that just heartwarming moving things happening jarius is just freaking out he's like come on all right you got her healed we're good like she's healed everyone she's healed we're good you're healed okay let's go my daughter is dying i was standing in line at, at ups and i was the second person there and you know, different cultures and different people checking out have different, they just have a different speed that they they operate at, you know? And so every, like, keystroke was just slow, and there's everything it had, like, ten questions back and forth. I'm like, dude, you get the address, you get the card out, let's just go. Like, ten seconds, you're good. Like, what? how long, what do we need to talk about A UPS? You just ship the package and you're gone. And I'm the second person in line, so I'm sitting there antsy, like, I got ten things I got to do today. Let's go, let's go, let's go. By the end of their transaction, the line was through the UPS store and up, like in the Tascado, towards Taco Bell, like halfway to Taco Bell. I walked out, and I was like, man, I feel, I feel really sorry for you guys. Thankfully, God answered my prayer. I need to work on patience, just not that much. That line was going to be like a good 40 minutes, like it was tough. Jarius, it wasn't a package, it was his daughter. And he's sitting there going, Jesus, wrap it up. You healed her. It's done. Woohoo. Yay. Let's my daughter. Are we going to go? Some of you are like, yeah, Jesus, he's gonna heal, he'll raise her from the dead. It's fine. But I'm still hung up on, okay, power left you. Do you have any power left? And are we going to make it there in time? Just then, someone comes and's like, hey, don't worry, your daughter's dead. Just don't bother the teacher. You guys, guys want to get sushi? Let's go. Let's go get lunch. It's like, what? Don't bother the teacher anymore. He's the guy that raises the dead. Wouldn't you change your approach and go, hey, Jesus, just a heads up. Uh, the kind of landscapes change, she's not sick anymore, she's dead. So maybe you have enough power to raise her from the dead. This is what you're walking into. But they just said, hey, don't bother him anymore. Let him him be. And Jesus says, no, 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 come on. He takes them and he takes, it says he took Peter, John, and James in verse 51, and he takes the father and mother and he closes the door and he tells them, hey, don't cry anymore. Because in the Jewish culture, it would be like all of us, when someone dies, we'd gather and we'd just cry. And you just have a huge cry fest. And it was this professional mourners. You'd actually call them and hire them and they'd come cry. And so Jesus is shutting them down. And like, you guys, stop. She's not dead. She's just sleeping. Takes them inside and, and he says, hey, child, arise. So endearing, so calm and comforting. Child, just wake up. And verse 55, the spirit returns and she gets up. And he directs that something would be given to her to eat to prove physically she's been brought back to life. She was dead, and now she's alive. She's not a spirit. She's not an imagination. She, Jesus brings witnesses in, and then he says, Hey, guys, just this is amazing. I know you're so excited. You're stoked. You're glad to tell your family and friends. Just don't tell anybody, okay? And he says it because he wants them to acknowledge he still has work to do. There's still time until he goes to the cross and this is huge in that when the Spirit is moving us, it directs our steps. And oftentimes we not maybe aware, but we encounter suffering. Maybe it's head-on. Maybe it's directed to us. Maybe it's for somebody. Maybe it's preparing us for somebody else. But we see this fundamental lesson, the combination of characteristics tied to faith. Faith should seize the initiative to act in dependence on God. Jairus runs to Jesus and falls down and speaks to him. Here's my need. My daughter's sick. And sometimes, though, it means we're patient. Because he's sitting there watching this other woman be healed. And he's like, that's great. I'm glad for you. You needed the healing. Can we kind of wrap things? We can come back. Like, you can come with us, or we can come back. Can we just go see my daughter? She's not doing well. She's teetering on life and death. In one sense, faith is full speed ahead. One another, it's waiting on the Lord. Our lives require a vibrant faith applied to the affairs of life. Maybe Jarius just last week was in the synagogue and he read out Isaiah out of Isaiah 54. Your ways are not my ways and your thoughts are not my thoughts, your time is not my timing. Maybe he just read that and he was able to just sit there and go, Oh yeah, this is man, God's in control. I'm so peaceful. But if you're like you probably like me, I'd be freaking out. Jesus, let's go. But faith applied to the affairs of life is requiring us to be patient, waiting on the Lord, for the Father does know best. We see on Palm Sunday, Jesus did all these amazing works, and he prepares the hearts and the crowd that shows up again to welcome him. Their speech was, was cheering, Hosanna, come save, the king rides in to save the day. And how quickly that chant changes from Palm Sunday to crucify Jesus a week later. And where are we in, in the world that's gripped with fear? Are we proclaiming that Jesus has risen from the grave? Are we proclaiming that the king is here to save the day like the demoniac? Who, yeah, we might have a messed up, scarred, dark past, but we can proclaim and point to what God's done in, my, in our life. And and some of you are like, yeah, I grew up in the church, so I don't have a demoniac testimony. But the amazing thing, the older I get, the more I see how God kept me from pain and kept me from having a demoniac story. And it's like, yeah, I'm in the middle of storms, but God continues to show up and and calm the wind and the waves. You still have to row to shore, though. He doesn't give you a all the time. We see that Jesus' promise here to the disciples is that We are not free from suffering. And in fact, we're not helpless in suffering. He's there to help us in it because we're victorious over suffering. Suffering isn't something that defeats us. We have victory over it. As we see the story of the early church, we find that where demon possession is concerned, practically every case where it's mentioned, the demons are cast out. We find that with regard to illness... There were some notable cases in which the divine answer was not miraculous healing, while as for others, raising the dead occurred. But most first century Christians who died seemed to have stayed dead. And the one great storm described in detail in the New Testament raged for 14 days on end, and then it ended in a shipwreck in Malta, Acts 27. Paul The Apostle Paul suffered 14 days of a torrential storm. Do you think he was sitting there the whole time going, Jesus, you wind and waves, you know, the whole peace be still thing. Could really use that right now. I'm in the middle of a storm. Physical problems. You told me to go. I'm trying to go. I'm in a storm. Are you going to help? And Jesus says, "Mm, enjoy the storm. I have a purpose for it. I have a purpose. I'm going to use that storm for my glory and your good. We see... That it may equally be endurance. His answer in illness may be health, but it may be courage instead. He may plan a rescue from death's door or permit comfort through grieving, which gives new hope. But in all these things, we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Romans 8. When in the illness has no cure, when your finances are a mess, when your marriage is falling apart and suffering, when your boss keeps pushing you and prodding you and and making it clear that there's no future here for you, when the literal storm hits and wipes out your life physically and what's represented of it, Jesus only. Jesus only is the one you put your faith in. You can't go to the bank. You can't go to the insurance. You can't go to a counselor. It's Jesus only. And yet he uses those things, but it's Jesus only that we put our faith in we see that when Peter witnessed all four of these incidences, he sums it up in a letter stating, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes upon you to prove you as though something strange were happening to you. Now, Peter is talking about the the persecution that comes, but he could have just as easily substituted that with suffering or tribulation or trials. And, And certainly, we continue to, enter into a world that was much like the first century, where persecution is coming. Right now it's our preferences that are being pushed on. But we're being prepared to face and confront trouble. Because Christians, we've enjoyed a time where suffering was little to nil, but we must learn to confront suffering as Jesus brought his disciples head on through the storm, with the demoniac, with the sick girl, with with the turned dead, and with the sick woman. And saying, look, I got power over all this. Where's your faith? Yeah, the world's controlled by fear and manipulated by fear. But where's your faith? And trust in me because I have you and I'm going to carry you through. And Jesus puts forth his power in the conquest of evil. And it may be a good thing for us to notice that the nearest the disciples got to even cooperating with him, let alone doing the job that Jesus commanded them to do themselves, was when they cried out for help. And that's where we, we focus now, is are we putting our faith in Jesus and crying to him for help when we're facing suffering or storms? And knowing that he's the king who came to save. Knowing that as we prepare our hearts for, for Easter, there's a purpose we have. And it's encapsulated with this, this narrative that George MacDonald wrote over 150 years ago, of this princess and the goblin, and this eight-year-old Irene lives in this great big house, and she would wander up to the attic where this fairy godmother would appear, and this godmother one day gives her a ring with a thread tied to it, and she says, hey, if you're scared or there's a hard time, just put the ring under your pillow and just grab the thread, and I'll hold on to the ball of yarn, And, and wherever you are, the yarn will guide you to me. And so one night these goblins break in and are terrifying in her house. And so she puts the ring under her pillow and she grabs the yarn and she starts following it. And to her confusion. It doesn't lead up to the attic where she thought it would. It leads out and down into the forest, through the forest, into this cave where the goblins live. And she's like, I don't want to go in there. That's terrifying. And so she keeps going slowly. And as she enters it, it dead ends with this pile of this rock wall. And she's distraught and confused and thinks, I'll just go back. This is weird. And she goes, and as she tries to go back, the string disappears. So she realizes, man, I'm in tears, but i got to go through this thing. So she starts tearing it and tearing apart this rock wall bit by bit, and her fingers are bloody. And as she tears into it, she hears this cry of her, her friend, Kirby. And he's crying, and, and as she rescues Kirby, he tells her, hey, it's, it's this way. We've got to go this way. And she's led a different way with the string. And she's like, hey, this, this hasn't steered me wrong. I've got to keep following this. The amazing thing is that Jesus followed his thread that God had planned his steps, the Spirit guiding and leading him to death in our place, to, to hell, so that we would go straight to heaven. As Jesus descended, then ascended. He, he paid our price for sin and death so we don't have to so Jesus kingdom will not crush you he brings us in because he was crushed for you he brings us into the kingdom empowers us with his spirit promises us who follow him that we're disciples that he's going to make us humble as we have the faith to put in him we're not free from suffering nor helpless in it but victorious over suffering that's the promise we have from Jesus today As we turn our eyes to Him and proclaim our King who's come to save us, humbly He entered on a colt and victoriously He just ascended to heaven and gave us the mission like He gave the demoniac. Hey, go and tell them what God has done in your life. Go and tell them what God has done. So as we take this minute for for the believers here to to think about what God has done in your life and, and thank Him for that and also ask Him maybe an area where you need to put your faith in Him and not allow fear to stifle that faith or misplace it or be misguided. And I'm going to give you a minute to to reflect on all that Jesus has done for you, is doing for you, and, and as you praise Him and thank Him for that work He's begun in you and continues And then I'll come back up and and close this.